Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 18 of Revelation chapter 21. And we're continuing to look at verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In our last study, we were looking at a few verses in Ephesians chapter 1, but especially verse 14. Let me read um, Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now the the Greek word, which is strong 629, translated as redemption, as I mentioned at the end of last study, is the same word that's found in Luke 21. And uh, it says in Luke 21, verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now we have discussed this many times that this must be, the language here must be understood spiritually because God is speaking of signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And if it were literal, and we know from Matthew twenty four twenty nine and Mark 13, verse 24, that uh, what it's referring to by signs is a darkened sun, a darkened moon, falling stars. If it were literal, that is not a sign a sign is something that points you to uh, a reality. That, that is, you receive the sign and it it's an indicator of a truth. And if the sun were literally darkened and the moon literally dark and stars literally falling and Revelation 6 says they fell to the earth, then that is not a sign of the end. That is the end. That's the actual, or would be, the actual destruction of the world and universe. But that's not the way God is writing about it. And, and in Mark 13, verse 24, God says, In those days after the tribulation, the sun is dark. So these signs are taking place um, over the course of a period of time called those days after the tribulation. And there is no way 
absolutely no way that these things can be understood literally when we take into account all the different passages, the parallel passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There is not a possibility, but what there is a possibility of, and actually what it is teaching, it uh, for sure, is that immediately after the tribulation, as the tribulation ended, when? May 21, 2011, after an exact 23 years, an exact 8,400 days, immediately after God put out the lights of the gospel that the sun, moon, and stars typify. And we've been living in the world ever since. And and so in those days, the sun has been darkened over a period of time. And the putting out of these gospel lights is a sign to those that see it, which would be the people of God. It's a sign to the elect that that it is judgment day because they can only see the the darkened sun, moon, and stars. You don't see it up in the sky at night. The moon still shines at night. The stars are still lit. You don't see it when the sun rises in the morning because it's there. You can only see the sign of a darkened sun, moon, and stars on the pages of the Bible. And that's exactly where Christ comes or reveals his coming in judgment. And that's what verse 27 of Luke 21 is saying. And then shall they see, or that word could be um, understood to mean understand, then shall they see the Son of Man coming, and this is a word that is a participle that's pointing to continuous action, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, as God spiritually identifies clouds with his commandments. Read Numbers chapter 9. And repeatedly throughout that chapter, God makes that tie-in. When the cloud moved, it was the commandment of God that the Israelites were to move. When the cloud stayed, it was the commandment of God the Israelites were to stay. The great cloud of witnesses is the word of God, the Bible. And we see the signs of the darkened sun, moon, and stars in the scripture. And, And then also it could be said, we see the Son of Man coming in a cloud as the judge of the earth. He has come as a thief in the night. And how do we understand that? From the Bible. And and so that's why we see him. Well, properly recognizing what those previous verses are saying helps us with the next verse, verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, when they begin to come to pass, then look up, Look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh, near. Now, again, that that's confirmation. We've understood the previous verses correctly. Because if it were a literal darkened sun and moon and falling stars, and if Christ was coming in the clouds, literally, then... Uh, 
why would God say when these things begin to happen that your redemption is drawing near? Wouldn't that be the time of redemption? That that would be the end of the world that and the time that God fulfills all righteousness and fulfills all of his promises? But no, no, that doesn't fit the passage, does it? It's not, look up for there is Christ and your redemption is finally here, but look up and, and lift your head up. That is an expectation. And, and that's why God's people have a good expectation right now regarding October 7th, 2015. When we look towards, when we're hasting and looking for the coming day of God, and looking for God to fulfill his promise of a new heaven and new earth. And we're looking at a particular date that the Bible, it, the biblical evidence is pointing to in a strong way as it is to this date of October 7th, the last day of tabernacles in this year. Then, in a sense, we are looking up. We're looking for Christ to come and and to fulfill his word. And we're doing so because we see the signs of the sun, moon, and stars in the Bible. Because we see Christ coming in the clouds. That is, it's been revealed on the pages of the Bible. And, and as a result, in response, we look up. We look up by uh, continuing to look to God continuing to trust the word of God and and God's people, it can be said, are glorifying him. The world has had enough of dates and and of hearing about the end of the world. Uh, to them, uh, they don't want to hear it anymore. The church has had enough. They have made their conclusion. No man knows the day or hour. And they have applied pressure to the believers who held on to these things, you should have enough, they tell us. You should stop looking and hasting unto the coming day of God. Why don't you do what everybody else does and focus on this world? Why don't you turn your attention away from the sky and stop lifting up your head and stop looking with expectation for the coming day of God? And and don't think so much about your redemption drawing nigh. There's many other things you can focus on. We're content. We're very content with the world. And look at your brethren, those that, that also um, say they worship your God in the church, these professed Christians. They're content. Why can't you be like them? Why don't you accept it like they've accepted it? And why don't you stop all this foolishness? And yet God's people, God's people, because they are God's people, continue to look up, continue to lift up their heads with expectation. And, and believe me, it's, it's very annoying to the rest of the people out there. It's very troubling to them. They thought they had gotten rid of us. They thought they had gotten rid of the whole discussion. 
after May 21, 2011, and here it comes again. Here it comes back again. Well, we're not trying to annoy them, but uh, uh, this is just the nature of the people of God. God's people continue to look because we desire salvation. We hunger and thirst after righteousness and the new heaven and new earth there therein dwells righteousness and we're we're not completely saved we haven't received our new resurrected body yet so we're we have a portion of salvation we have an earnest of the spirit but we want the whole thing it's a desire god has placed within us we groan within ourselves for the completion of of these things remember that's what god said as he knows the child of God better than the child of God knows himself. God said in Romans 8, in verse 22 and 23, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's another way of saying earnest of the Spirit. We we have that original down payment of the Spirit, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. The body. There, there's a, a desire within the believer Oh, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? From this corrupt mortal body that I am commanded to, um, to crucify, to put to death, to mortify these members. And, and yet it keeps showing itself and it, again and again. It pops up because the moment I take my eyes off of Christ, there it is again in in one way or another, oh, who will deliver me? Oh, Lord, how long until you deliver? There's a groaning that is within, that is increasing only since May 21, 2011, in the people of God. Since God has ended his salvation program, God is no longer sending us forth with the gospel that others might hear and be saved. That has been fulfilled and accomplished there's no more evangelization and and that leads us to desire all the more because we can we can tell from the bible we can tell we're close we're right there the the redemption's drawing nigh according to the things we've learned since may 21 2011 that these things as we go through Luke 21 or Matthew 24, we we can almost check them off. The falling away has come. False Christ and false gospels. The iniquity has abounded all over the earth. And now the signs are in place. That's what Jesus was answering, the question of the disciples. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Those signs it partially were in place when God 
darken the third part of the sun, the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars when he uh, he brought judgment on the congregations. But it doesn't say the third part in Luke 21. It And Matthew 24, 29 isn't speaking of the third part. It's talking about the fullness of the sun and the fullness of the moon and the fullness of the stars. It can only be referring to Judgment Day, the time after the tribulation, when God shut the door of heaven and he ended his salvation program and he has stopped saving people all across the face of the earth. The gospel light is out. That is the sign. It's it's a big uh, piece of the puzzle of the response to Christ as he is answering the disciples' question, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Here it is. When you see that there is no more salvation in this world, and then you're seeing the Son of Man coming in the clouds. He He's coming in wrath, in judgment. Well, when that happens, and when you see it with eyes of faith or eyes of understanding, because you're seeing it on the pages of the Bible, and it's only in the Bible that God gives signs, or that's the only acceptable place. He'll, uh, anyone who is asking for a sign in the actual sky above, or the actual heaven above, is an evil and adulterous generation. But only the sign of the prophet Jonah will be given to such a generation. And why? Because where do you read about the sign of Jonah? Or you can only learn about Jonah in the book of Jonah in the Bible. That's the sign. That's the only place God gives signs. And and now we see it. It's it's intact. It's in place. The, we, we can proceed to the next verse. And when these things come to pass, you have to know that they've come to pass, don't you, in order to understand that they've come to pass. When they come to pass, look up, lift up your head for your redemption now draws nigh. And it's not the redemption of the soul that's over and done with. That's already taken care of with all the elect. It is referring to the redemption of the body. As Romans 8.23 says, that we're looking for the redemption of the body. We're looking for the salvation of our physical body. And that's what Ephesians 1, again, at the end of verse 13, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And that is the redemption of our body, which has been purchased with the blood of Christ at the point of the world's foundation, when Christ died for the sins of his people, he he purchased the redemption in both soul and body. That's why there is two resurrections. The, the resurrection of the soul, which is the first, and the resurrection of the body, which is the second resurrection. And, and then we will be one whole 
saved personality. And salvation will have been completed and perfected. And, and that is the uh, redemption of the purchased possession. But until then, we have the earnest of our inheritance. The, the indwelling Holy Spirit is, um, a testimony of God. It's, it's a down payment on the inheritance. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And this word earnest is used here. 2 Corinthians 1 in verse um, 21 and 22. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And again, there we see where the earnest of the Spirit is located in our hearts. And that would be the new heart that God has uh, inserted after removing the old heart of stone, that desperately wicked heart, that ugly heart, is taken out and God places a new heart. And within that heart is the earnest of the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5, also, it says, and, and this um, passage in these early verses of this chapter are very significant to um, this present time of anticipating the, the fulfillment of, uh, of the redemption of our body. Actually, why don't I read it from verse 1? For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, what is the earthly house of our tabernacle? It's our, on, on, in one way, it's our body. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And that, that would be, as Christ said, whose house are we? For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And then in verse 5, now he that has wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. See again this language here that there's groaning, that, um, that, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And, and that goes back to that strong desire, which the word groaning is expressing, that our physical body be redeemed. And, and, and so here is the earnest of the Spirit given at the point of salvation while we live in this world. And again, it is a witness to each one of us that God has begun the good work. He will complete it. He will, uh, fulfill all His word and, and finish his salvation plan for us individually, which means that we will receive uh, a new resurrected body. Now, the, the Greek word earnest is actually 
a word that comes from the Hebrew. It's transliterated. Um, I would pronounce it Arabon in Greek, but it's from the Hebrew word. The word earnest in Greek is 728. In Strong's Concordance, it's from the Old Testament Hebrew number 6162 that is translated as pledge. Pledge. When, when someone would, um, very much like a down payment, um, they, they desire something, they want to purchase something, so they give a pledge that really is saying that I will come back and, and complete the payment. I'll finish paying for it. Just again, that's where we get this idea of, uh, the earnest money when it comes to buying a house, the down payment. It is letting the lender know that uh, we have made a partial payment, we will complete the payment. Well, th- the reason why we speak of uh, earnest money is because this Greek word earnest comes from the Hebrew word uh, arabon that is translated as pledge, and we'll look at a historical account in the book of Genesis with Judah and Tamar. And we'll see how God has, in an interesting way, used that Hebrew word, um, translated as pledge a few times in that passage, and how it fits with uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit being a down payment and and uh, being present in the life of the believer, especially as it relates to the believer who enters into judgment day. Uh, again, it's it's pretty interesting how God has written that chapter. It's um, Genesis chapter 38, if you want to take a look at it. But we'll have to pick that up in our next study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.